Hi, this is Bruce Clark, host of Twip Weddings. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the CashFly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with CashFly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by the brand new TWIP School. You can check it out at school.thisweekinphoto.com. Hey folks, coming up this November 27th through December 10th, I'll be taking a small group of 6 to 11 people on an exclusive 14-day photography adventure through the wonderful country of Vietnam in Southeast Asia. This trip will have a strong emphasis on the Vietnamese culture and will be photographing all the way. Oh, and as a bonus, you can help me celebrate my birthday, which is November 28th, in Hanoi. Get the full details and sign up at twip.com dot pro slash vietnam 2016 that's twip dot pro slash vietnam 2016 this is twip episode 474 the devolution of craft with great power comes great responsibility at least that's what peter parker's uncle ben told him but it's also true when it comes to cameras drones and using common sense a few companies are working to remove some of that responsibility and the requirement to use common sense apple for example has been awarded a patent that will allow it to give venues the ability to restrict or block iphone photography completely and dji has introduced a feature that will work in real time to further inform drone pilots of when and where they can safely fly, and in some cases, restrict flight altogether. It's Monday, July 18th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. A couple of interesting stories to tackle this week, and to hit those stories, I'm joined by the golden tones of Mr. David Dushman from Craft and Vision and also the the wonderful Mr. Martin Bailey from Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Hey guys, how you doing? Very well, thanks Roger. Did I lather that on there good enough? Was that was that like thick enough? Was that good? Yeah, that, that was nice. That was okay, thank you. Thank you. you know, golden tones. tones. <laughs> golden tones. I was hoping my name was going to have to come after golden tones. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. no. <laughs> you don't. You don't have the. You don't have the David baritoneness going on over there. I know. <laughs> so I know. you kind of do. You kind of do. You guys are, are similar. <laughs> All right, David. You've been on the show. We had you on Twip Talks a while back, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we caught up with you about your adventures underwater and otherwise. How's that going? Are you still hot and heavy about submerging your camera and, oh, and challenging gosh. yourself? Absolutely. It's in fact, it's it's getting worse. Um, I just got back from two weeks in uh, in Mexico, uh, the the middle of absolute nowhere. It took 36 hours on a boat to get there, and we spent uh, seven full days diving with uh, giant manta rays and sharks and dolphins. And I came back just like, I mean. The first three days, I was convinced I was just going to throw my crap in the ocean and just go home. But when I got back and I saw the work that I'd created and I, I, you know, everything's a learning curve. My God, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Really? Yeah. You know, we had we had Nicole Young on the show. I think it was last week, and she, uh, I think she's been bitten by the same, some sort of same aquatic creature that you've <laughs> yeah in, in, in fact she she was on the same boat for uh, for that week so we were on the same trip and did a lot of the diving together nice, nice. yeah 
All right, you know, two two aquatic photographers are born. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you on the panel today. I thank you. And Mr. Martin Bailey, always a pleasure having you on as well. What's going on in your world, man? Oh, not a lot. I uh, I'm doing lots of lots of back office stuff at the moment. It's you know the the summertime here in Tokyo. It's a it's a good a good time to reverse hibernate and just sit in the air conditioning for a while. So. Mm. Nice. Lots of lots of planning going on, and lots of creating stuff for the uh, for the future. But looking forward to getting back in the field next month. Wouldn't reverse hibernate be marinate? <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, probably would. Um, yeah, I don't know, David. I'm come on, you, you know. I'm staying out of this one. <laughs> you're on your own, Martin. <laughs> Martin, you're marinating in Tokyo. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I try not to marinate until. After until at least the evening now, I it, it stops me doing the afternoon's work. So, gotcha, gotcha. Well, let's dive into this show, guys. We can we got a little bit of a late start, but I want to dive into this because there's a couple of interesting stories. I'd love to get both of your opinions on this. First story is from uh, a company who's created an app called Algorithmia, which is kind of sounds like a condition, but it's like. <laughs> It's like I'm coming down with algorithmia. I don't know. They're trying to treat it, but I think, I think there's a cream for that. You can get it over the counter. Exactly. It's not curable. Though. It's not curable. Uh, but essentially, what this what this software does, and it's a cloud-based software. What it does is, or what its aim is to do, is to take black and white photos, and through algorithmic colorization, I guess, add colors to the tones in the photos, thereby giving you a kind of that look that, you know, from the olden days of you take a black and white photo and then meticulously color it with colored, you know, inks or, um, or uh, you know, basically colored. You know, you get you paint color in there and you end up with something that's, that's kind of painterly but still photographic at the same time. They're trying to do this with software and make it easy for you to kind of just upload an image and have it do its work on there. Uh, David... What, what do you think about this? Is this? I, I kind of know what you're gonna <laughs> what you're gonna say, and this is kind of baiting you. It's kind of like, yeah, kinda like, it, like it kinda, Wolf, what do you is. think about what do you yeah. think about those sheep? Do they look delicious or? Not? Yeah, you know what? You may as well ask me what I think about Pokemon Go. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't see the point, and but that doesn't mean there's not a point. I, I think too often when a technology comes. Uh, we either we we fully embrace it or we fully reject it, and I think the interesting stuff happens uh, a little bit further down the line when we see what can be done with it. Um, I, I look at it through the lens of my own work and my own uh, preferences for how I like to create, and it doesn't really interest me. I, I sort of you know the the press a button and now your photograph can be art. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure we'll see something, and I those kind of images stir a particular kind of nostalgia. But I, I think with any of this, press one button and you're done. We're we're seeing the the devolution of craft rather than the uh, celebration of craft. Um, but again, that may just be the old guy in me. You know, get off my lawn. Um, I don't know. I think it's fifty-fifty because I look at this and from a from an artisan standpoint, if I can be so bold as to use that term, from an artisan standpoint, I think of it as, yeah, come on, you know, you're handing over the reins, why even bother? It's like, you know, you're, you say you're a cook, but then you keep buying microwave meals and, and claiming you're a cook. 
but on the other hand, I can see how you know I have a box for some reason. I guess because I'm the youngest in the family, for some reason I've been I've been be, I've been made the custodian of all of our family photos. So I have a box full of photos that are black and white and in various shades of disrepair. And I looked at this. I'm like, well, hey, that'd be interesting to see if I you know if I could scan in an old photo of my mom. I wonder what that would look like in color, you know. But on the other, if there's another hand, I'm like, well, that's kind of like that wasn't there when the photo was shot. So does it really make the photo better if you if you add that? Martin, what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I I think that there's a there's a place for it if if you're for playing around and you know you. I think the original black and white images that were colorized, it, it, sta it states on this page that, you know, it was a time when there was only black and white. And so people ha were struggling to try and bring some real world color back into the images. Um, but from this, from this article, I mean, it, it's, it says a number of times that the software fails. And yet, you know, if you look at the old colorized black and white photos, they, they didn't look real. They look like black and white photos that someone painted on, and so, yeah, yeah. and and so I think that it's it actually does a pretty good job of emulating an old colorized black and white photo. Um, so you know, as far as the the technology is concerned, you know, they they've done an okay job in my opinion. Um, but like like David was saying, I mean, does it have a place in my work? Probably not, because if if I I mean, I have a few photos of myself when I was a kid that are in black and white. I don't need to see them in color. They were shot in black and white. And I've got a huge appreciation for black and white photography. I probably convert half of my images to black and white photos. But it, that doesn't mean that I need to go to take those black and white photos and recolorize them. Because the, the majority of people today already have an image that is, is, in, black, is in color that was converted to black and white. Um, if I had one of those cheap Leica cameras that that only shoot black and white, I might run. I might run out and try and make this work. But um, obviously, a little bit tongue in cheek there. But I, I, I don't know. I think there's a place for it for for playing around. Um, and I'm sure that there'll be people that will take old family photos, and it it could it could be fun. But I don't think it's for for a, for a lot of people. It's not going to be much more than that. It seems like the fun, though. I remember trying this technique out with I forget what the what the 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 paint was called, but it was like this translucent. It was like it's stronger. It's like a dye. I guess they were dyes, mm. right? That you actually paint on a matte printed or semi gloss or whatever printed print, and you, it's it was actually fun because you have different mm. shades of pigment for skin tones and hair and you know trees and foliage, and you it was actually kind of fun to sit there and colorize a photo. The end result was never intended to be photorealistic. It was part of the process that, hey, this was a photo that you brought to life. So, and I think about this, David, back to what you were saying, uh, you know, the, the what you call the devolution of craft, you know, looking at this, yeah. it's, from that standpoint, you take all that away because now it's upload, press, and go. So that part is gone from this. And then the other part that's gone is if, like Martin was saying, like if this it, where where does this add to the the artisanship of something? And can you even call yourself an artist if you if you upload this and you let the computer do it? Is it still your work or is it the computer's work at that point? Well, I, I mean, it's an, it, I I don't like to draw lines. Um, I do all the time. I just don't like to draw them. But um, <laughs> it's like any technology. I think that there uh, p 
people will use it in all kinds of different ways, surprising ways, ways that I think, oh, I never anticipated that, and I give them credit for it. I, I think the big, for me the bigger question is uh, there are questions there about authenticity. There are questions there about, you know, are we letting these, frankly, these gimmicks, um, are we letting them carry the image? Where is the sense of composition and the sense of moment? And um, you know, it wouldn't be a podcast with me if I if I didn't get down on on HDR. Um, and so it's it's just a technique, and it can be used very well. I'm going on record saying it can be used very well, but it can also, like any technique, it can be just used as a gimmick to carry. And there's no sense of composition, no sense of moment, no awareness of light. And I, I wonder if, and that's where my comment to the devolution of craft comes in. I'm not trying to get down on people. I just think we can do better. I, I, I tell my students we can do better. I'm not, this is not remotely elitist. We just can do better. We, we can be more human with our craft. I mean, are we going to come to the point where all we do is send our drone out to take pictures and then upload images and, and press buttons? I'm not interested in that. Um, if others are, that's fine. But I'd rather go out with my cheap crappy Leica and you know take black and white pictures and leave them as is, or convert my color to black and white for a reason where the where there's intent. So you know, um, having having been down on HDR, we can we can move on. Yeah, yeah, we, we could, that's a rat hole. That's a rat hole. We could definitely unearth. Um, but you know, David, continuing with you, both of you guys, I want to get your thoughts on this because we. You know, we we have the conversation on this week in photo a lot about gear. David, you you I think you started the conversation about gear, you know, bit. back in the day. You know, or at least pioneered the 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 kind of emperor has no clothes conversation with regard to gear acquisition syndrome, right? Mm. So, so looking at technologies like this one from Algorithmia and like you brought up drones and you know all this this the pace is quickening. Right, I mean sure. the, the different things that we have and the different innovations. People struggling to create the next thing that will convince photographers to open their their wallets and pull up their credit card again. How do you how do you draw the line between staying relevant and aware of the technologies that are available to you as an artisan versus going out and creating art? Like how do you how do you how do you balance that? the gear acquisition syndrome lust with, hey, if I if I don't look at any of that stuff, something that could really benefit my way of doing stuff might pass me by. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, I, I think you're right. I, but I think there's like, uh, there are so many conversations that we can have here. One is about financial responsibility. Can all of these hobbyist photographers, can they actually afford all of this gear that they're buying potentially under the illusion that it's going to make their photographs better? Maybe not. Um, is it responsible of these camera companies to to be putting out these messages, you know, the key to your creativity and all this other garbage that's totally meaningless but sells a lot of cameras? I think they're trying to sell hope. I think they're trying to sell a shortcut to a, a lifelong process of mastering a craft that's challenging, that's difficult. That's part of the joy of it for me. So where do I draw the line? Um, for me, it's all about curiosity. If I can afford it, if it's like I just bought a drone, um, I, everyone that hears this that knows me is going to shake their head and go, he's lost his mind. I bought it because I was curious. I don't know if it has any place in what I do, but I know this. I know that I make story, I make photographs to tell stories, to move people, and if the drone can can do that, 
great. If I play with it for the next two months and just crash it and go, well, okay, that was fun. Uh, it is fun. It's a lot of fun just to zip it around. And I, I'm not interested right now in making photographs. I just, I just want to fly this thing. You know, I, I, I'd like to chase dogs or something. Um, <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so it's, it's my, it's my curiosity. I'm not a technologist. Like, you know, conversations about technology, I'm much more, I want to have the conversation about human beings. Um, that doesn't mean it's not a good conversation to have. I'm just not interested. My next book is about human beings. It's about, you know, the photographer's place and making photographs. So um, I think they're interesting. And if your curiosity kind of makes you go, hey, what's that? Go try it. I mean, play. That's the nature of creativity. But I do think that, like everything, you know, I, I always go back to it. Gear is good, but vision's better. Vision vision is that driving force and if it doesn't help you accomplish your vision life is very short it's spend your time on something that will help you live the life you want and fulfill your vision um, you do not if you're curious great but if you're feeling the pressure to go out oh god I gotta learn another thing no you don't you could still be shooting with a Leica 35 millimeter camera for the rest of your life with one lens and be a relevant well-paid well-selling happy photographer yeah yeah it's like the God, what was that book um by rodrigo coelho i think it was called the the alchemist have you guys read that so in the, oh, in the yeah 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 paul, yeah. paul, yeah, paul. so he yeah. was talking about the whole idea of the, your definite major purpose or your definite purpose right That's and the, the protagonist through the story the whole story is about him trying to find his purpose when it turns out that his purpose was the journey, obviously, right? So, spoiler alert. Sorry, sorry, folks, if you haven't read the book. But, <laughs> now but, you don't have to. Now you don't have to. Now I'm you know. Read the book for you. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> sorry. It's really a good book. It's really good. But, you know, that, that just sort of clicked in my head when you were saying that about vision because a lot of photographers, and Martin, I want to have you chime in on this, a lot of photographers spend a lot of time, and I don't even know if I've figured it out yet, spend a lot of time trying to find out what that is. Like, what is that vision? And and they try to find it by buying gear or emulating Martin and David. And like, hey, Martin did this shot when he was the snow, snow monkeys. I'm going to get the exact same lens and camera that he did. I'm going to do that shot, and that's my vision, right? So how, do, how do you find that vision? Martin, it, Martin, you take it, and David, I want you to follow up with that. How do you find your vision so that you can follow it and and refine it or rather than shotgunning all over the place you, you know i think the the cure for the the gear acquisition syndrome and probably also for analysis paralysis i like that phrase as well because mm -hmm. people get really hooked up on that stuff um i think that for me at least the 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 cure has been just to, to just to continue to shoot and shoot and shoot and the more you do this stuff the more you learn what you really need and I mean I when I was really trying to find my voice and to to figure out what I needed I without doubt bought a number of lenses that I didn't need I don't think I've ever bought a camera I don't need um, but I definitely had a few lenses in my cabinet that I that I just didn't use um, apart from during the initial, oh great, I've got this new tilt shift lens or I've got this new whatever. Um, I mean, it turns out that I, I bought the whole series of tilt shift lenses, but it turns out I only ever used my 24 millimeter. Um, and so what I did was I got to a point where I, I just, if I'd not used something for a year, I just sold it and, and put the money to something else that I was 
you know, like a the, the latest version of, of the, the body. I mean, I generally upgrade the bodies pretty quickly, partly because I want the, the latest technology to to blog about in, in, in a lot of respects. I mean, for me, getting a blog post out quickly about something new is good for, for driving visitors. Um, but also, I mean, I enjoy the technology, but I focus my spending on things that I know I need. And I think that the more you shoot and the more comfortable you be, you become with your craft, you you learn what, it's, it's pretty much instinctual what you need next. And I, I've, I've got no problems at all with people lustering out, you know, you, you think, okay, I'm, this new thing's come out, um, I want to give it a try. I, I think that there's always a place for that because it, it can feed your creativity. But I also think that you, like I said, the more you do this, the more, you, the more time you spend in front of that pool, and David's been there with me as well, you know, in front of that pool with the snow monkeys or, or out in, in the, the snowy environment doing, doing this stuff. The, the more you do it, the more you, you hone your own ideas of what you need. And I think that it, it also it leads to confidence. I think that a lot of the time people want to buy the, ne the next thing because they're not quite confident in, in what they're doing. And I don't think we should ever be to get to the point where we feel as though we, we're there, we've made it. Um, I, I, I have like one of my, my sub sort of motto for my company is it's not about the journey. Um, uh, sorry, it's, it's all about the journey. It's not, I'm saying the wrong, the opposite <laughs> thing. It's all about the journey. And, yeah. and that, that is, um, you, I, I forget, I think it was David that said earlier, you know, that the, oh no, it was, it was, the, it was the, the, uh, the punchline for the book that you mentioned, Frederick. Oh yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the journey itself is, is the, the fun part, the being there doing, doing this, realizing that there's something that you need to overcome and then figuring out how to overcome that. Um, I think the best photographers are, are often the best problem solvers and put yourself in a position where you, you force yourself to, to figure out how to make a certain type of photograph or how to overcome a certain problem. And the more you do that, the, be the better you get at doing that. And it all leads to a, to a photographer that is, is much more confident in their ability to not know everything, but to at least have the ability to figure out what they, what they need to do to take the photography to the next level. And um, it, it all really ends, you end up being in a place where you're much more relaxed. I don't feel, people have said to me, you know, when are you getting a mirrorless camera? We've had this conversation a number of times. Mm -hmm. I, I've got absolutely nothing against mirrorless cameras, but at the moment I don't feel as though I need one to take my craft to a, a different level. Because of, because the, the work that I'm doing is, I can do it fine with what I've got. And so, you know, I'm curious and I, if I had a, a pool of money as big as a, the Grand Canyon, I'd probably own every mirrorless camera on the market. But I, I'm curious, but I, I feel as though I don't need to buy every new thing because it, it's not going to improve anything that I do. Yeah, I, I love that, you know, and I, you know, it's, I know some people, you know, that shall remain nameless. It's probably a crowd of people that will, if given unlimited funds, would purchase the entirety of B&H and have that in their house <laughs> just in case there was that situation that came up where they needed that mm. specialty lens and that body and that lighting kit and this Ellen Crom, you know, 
they would ha they want to have that stuff at the ready, and that's one one way of thinking. You know, photographers like, well, I don't kind of know what my vision is yet, so I'm going to cover all bases in case I decide to be a sports photographer, or landscape, or portrait, or whatever. David, on the vision thing, to continue that to continue that thread, how do people whittle it down to figure out what their vision is, so they can do what Martin says and focus and only buy what they need. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I want to say I, I think Martin's absolutely right. I, I mean, I shoot with almost exclusively, except underwater, um, I shoot almost exclusively with mirrorless cameras, but the mirrors are not the point. The lack of mirrors are not the point. There's still these stupid black boxes with a hole in the front. They make photographs, and it just happens that I can't carry that stuff anymore. The photographs are no better than they used to be. Um, but I'll tell you what changes my has changed my photography and has changed, I think, uh, the photography of the students that I work with is when they realize that their fear of missing the shot, the thing that drives like, oh my God, I need three cameras and seven lenses. And you have a better chance of missing that shot if you're sitting there going, Martin used the, the term analysis paralysis. You're sitting there going, ah, oh, do I shoot it with this or with this? Do I, do I use my 300 millimeter or my eight millimeter fisheye? I don't know. I, you will as you experiment with that gear, some of it will feel better in your hand. Some of the the uh, aesthetics that come about in your images as a result of a wider lens, or you know, I use ultra wide angle lenses. I rarely now, unless I'm shooting wildlife, I rarely use longer lenses. And even then, I'd rather photograph a bear at 16 to 35 than I would at 600 millimeters. Um, but the point of about vision, I don't think you find your vision and then it's like, ah, I found it. Uh, it was under the couch. Um, I found my vision and 35 cents. Um, it's, it's something I think that we find every day or we look for every day. It's, it's the, it's not the, the answer that's important. It's the question. It's today. What is my vision? Because every day we change every day. We're a new person and my vision is changing. You know, I looked at, uh, I looked at some of my landscape photographs from the last five years and I realized I actually could I got to be careful what I say, but I don't think I could care less whether I shoot another landscape right now. Um, I will, yeah. and because I like being out in the wild. But what's really turning my crank right now, and I think I just needed a break, is going back out into the streets. I've been loving my street photography. I love this sense of moment and where the wild is important to me. I'm getting under the water, so it's always going to change. Will I look at my my photographs and see a continuity of that vision? Of course, there'll be similarities. I don't want to set vision up as like the idol any more than I want to set gear up as as that. Um, I think you listen to what you want. What do you want to shoot? Um, are you enjoying it? We all photograph for different reasons. So to say, this is how it's done. My way is the way. My way is the right way. It's not. My way is my way. Your way is your way. But I think we sometimes don't ask the more important questions like why am I doing this? What makes me happy? Would I do this better if I didn't have so much damn gear? So I find if I'm walking around Venice and I have uh, two Fujis with two small lenses, I've got it covered and I can walk further and I'm happier. I've got more creative energy. Uh, Martin would pick it up and go, well, this isn't going to do it for the wildlife I do. And he wants his big DSLR. One is not better than the other. Again, they're just plastic metal boxes with holes in. The important thing is, what is Martin doing with it? What is he, yeah, we can all go to the monkey pools, but Martin, Martin's Martin been there a hundred times, so he has an intimacy with the subject. He has uh, a way of 
uh, approaching the whole thing and things that he wants to explore and express, that is far more important. He could go there with one camera and his wide-angle lens and be very confident. I would go, never having been there, and be like, oh, I don't know, what am I going to... But maybe three times on my third visit, I'm like, nah, I, I'm good. I'll just go with my wide-angle lens and I'll be fine. And then play. That's and hard, see, David. That is, that is so hard. Art that is, is hard. so hard to do. Of course yeah, it that is. is hard because like when I, I went to Vietnam, like I said on the show many times last year for the first time, and I was dead set on only bringing like just two lenses or whatever, but then it becomes that night before, and you're like, uh, well, there could be a fisheye opportunity. Oh, and there could be lots of portrait opportunities. Oh, oh, I got to have my zoom for walking around, you know, or I got to have a normal lens for this, and then I got to have that, you know, and then pretty soon you got everything. With you, I, you know. I agree, but I think when you come to the point when you accept that the principles of creativity are more important than which particular lens you have, yes, you might miss the shot, but you, in my experience, you will get more shots and better shots if you're if you have more creative constraints. So if you go to wherever Vietnam with a 16 to 35, you will shoot. Over the course of that time, of course you will miss the occasional shot, but it may, they may be crap shots that you're missing. Yeah. But will that constraint force you to see the place in a new way? Will it force you, for example, will it force you into more intimate encounters with people? Because you're not doing the, sh the hip shot with your 70 to 200. You're getting right close. Yeah, you might miss a landscape or you can't compress the mountains and the misty trees. And uh, But let's, let's face it, Art Wolf has done that shot. I've done that shot. Three million other photographers have done that shot. Mm -hmm. If it's that important to you, you already know that. You know, oh, I always need that lens because I've got you know all my best shots. If you go through my Lightroom library and look at my all my five stars, almost I'm going to guess eighty percent of my work is shot between sixteen and maybe twenty-four. That's how I see the world, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty comfortable. If I had to, I could go and say I I will just bring up to twenty-four millimeters. And be very happy. You know, I used to walk out with my Leica and a 21 millimeter on a full frame, and I was—I never went. Oh God, I need a 300. Where's my three? Because I—I'm not thinking of all the possibilities. Oh well, if I—if I had a 600, I could do this. Always a lens you don't have. I was thinking, how do I see this scene with this lens in this way right now, and what can I make? It's not that important to me that I come home with three 300 shots. If I come home with 12 photographs, I'm happy. If I come home with, I it. and after a year, those 12 will not be 12 anymore. After a year, they'll be six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're lucky. I mean, 12 is a good is a good number. I mean, if you come back, if you shoot 300 and sure. get 12 out of it, that's that's pretty damn good, right? Oh well, I'm, I, I no, I was like shoot 3,000 and get oh. 12. <laughs> okay. But I'm saying, you know, out of the all of that garbage that I shoot, to that's what it takes to get me to to the 12, and yeah. I, I don't think it is 12 most of the time, but, you know, I, I'm not a collector. I'm not out there to get as many photographs as I can. I'm out there to get that one that makes me go, yes, my God, this is what I've come to Venice five times for. This is why I keep going back to India. I, I don't need at the end of my life. It's not he who dies with the most frames wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell Thomas Hawk that, because Thomas is marching to that destination. I forget what that his big name is. Yeah, that may, I mean, some people want to, you know, Chris Gillibo wanted to go to every country in the world before he was whatever age. I would rather go to 50 countries repeatedly and see those places deeper and experience them. But 
that's, doesn't mean it's the right way. It just, that's what makes me go, yes, you know, I want a deeper human experience. I don't want to like, spread it so thin that at the end of a life I go, well, I can't even actually remember the trip to Eritrea. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. But I have a lot of pins in my map, but. Sure. <laughs> and, and for, again, for, I'm not coming down on that. For some people, that's what makes them happy. I just, I, that doesn't make me happy. I think for me, I can go, I can do better. I can leave a deeper legacy and that's what I'm striving for. So, you know, I, I think, again, it all comes back to intent, asking yourself, what do I want to accomplish and what are the best tools for this? And could it be that I don't need all of this crap? And could it be that it's liberating and, and that it makes me more creative? Will I miss a shot? Of course, we all miss shots. They, unless you bring every, you know, up to 600 millimeters or, and then you'll want a 1200 and then you want a Hubble telescope. So that see that, that, and I want to leave this topic, but that, that is fascinating what you said, because that the whole idea of not trying to cram everything into one trip, right? Because I think that, that is where a lot of us go wrong because it's like, okay, I'm going to this place I've never been before. Therefore, I have to be ready for every eventuality and any situation because I may not get back there again. But if you if you kind of adjust your mindset to think, hey, this is one of many trips that I'm going to take to Venice or wherever, sure. you know, and on this trip, I've seen these kinds of shots. I'm going to try to do this on this trip. And then next time, maybe I'll do this, you know. And and you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll be very quick with this. But I think yeah, yeah, people watching are going to say, yeah, but I don't get to go. I get to go once. I get to go maybe or, or, or maybe, you know, a couple times in my life. And I get that. And so my counter to that is, so do yourself a favor. And one, don't go on a, don't go on a bus tour that's going to take you to a new town every day go to one place, really truly experience it, and give yourself the best possible chance. And that to me is not, again, just, just the way I work, but most of the photographers that I know they've been doing this a long time will very happily walk down the street for, for a whole week, every day, going out with one camera and one lens. Henri Cartier-Bresson went out with one lens. Guys like Sam Abel don't carry, to my knowledge, big massive bags. These guys, they, they know that they will do better work because it is hard. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. It's hard, but who are we to think that our 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 art is the easy one? You know, that that we should just go to Venice. Well, I, I I thought if I went to Venice, I'd just you know take a good shot. Well, I mean, buy the postcard if that's your expectation. If you want to make something that's um, that's beautiful and that's that has impact, it probably is going to be hard. Very few of us show up, put our camera to our face, and go, Ah, there it is. I got the shot. You know, we got we got to work it, and and it's no different for wildlife or landscapes or street photography. God bless some wedding photographers. Oof, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. That's that's that is the uh, yeah. I much respect to the wedding photographers out there because they have to be good at everything with with no net. So yeah, yeah absolutely, love those guys. Mm -hmm. All right, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a patent that Apple was awarded that could allow them to implement a feature that will disable the camera and ban photography in certain areas. Hmm. 
I'd like to formally invite you to check out the brand new TWIP School. You've learned so much from the amazing TWIP hosts and guests over the years. Now, within the TWIP School, you can continue that learning and dive deeper on a variety of photographic and business topics. There are already several great courses to choose from in the school, and we will be adding new courses often. Right now, you can learn about fashion photography from Lucas Passmore, Final Cut Pro 10 for photographers, and time lapse with Lee Herbert, marketing for photographers with Zach Prez, and even time travel for photographers with yours truly. And to kick things off, you can check out the school today with a course that we've made available for free for a limited time only, and that's Five Habits of Highly Effective Photographers. It's an inspirational course designed to help you get more done and stay focused. So head over to the brand new TWIP school now at school.thisweekinphoto.com. That's school.thisweekinphoto.com. All right, guys, we're back. So Apple has been awarded a U.S. patent for a system that will disable the iPhone camera with infrared signals, allowing photography to be basically remotely banned in locations such as concerts and other sensitive sites. Martin, a, you know, on the surface, I like this. Again, everything's a two. It's like everything's a two-sided sword. Coin on the surface, I can understand this. You know, like in areas where you want to ban photography because of certain sensitive sensitive issues. I can see like in military installations and you know whatever. But concerts, you know, I understand the intellectual property belongs to the artist and all that. But concerts and other areas gets gray, and then it gets completely foggy if someone takes this technology and misuses it, like um, maybe humans have been known to do from time to time. So, Martin, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think about this? Yeah, you know, the the first thing that came to my mind is that infrared is usually line of sight, and so all you need to do is to block the, the receiver for that. But then I thought, well, you know, it's almost certainly going to be the lens. You know, they're, they're going to be catching this, just coming straight in. They, they, they're not going to need another another um, receiver for that. So um, I doubt that there's a way to actually physically override it. You, you know, I mean, I, I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm not big on, on privacy and all of that when it comes to um, stopping people from doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, but the, the big concern is, like you say, that you know, there's always going to be a way for someone to abuse this. Um, and I can imagine that there'll, there'll be some security company somewhere that gets hold of this technology and thinks, well, okay, I think it's a really good idea. It'll save us a few dollars on patrolling if we just block this entire area. And then there's going to be an uproar and, and all about the right to be able to, to actually make, you know, to, to photograph in certain places or video. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, they, I think it's, it's probably a necessary um, technology that obviously Apple, think, Apple believes so. They've put the, they've put the time in to, to and the money to get this um, patented. I think that there's, uh, there are places, I mean, in, on the Japanese subway systems, there's a lot of problems with people sticking their phones up people's skirts. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that there are going to be places where you would try to use it to avoid that. But I've also seen amazing photographs of, I've got a friend here in Tokyo, I'm, I'm not sure which of the friends, I've got like three. <laughs> um, but, but um the I, one guy shot this um, this image. I'm trying to remember remember which one it was, but I'm going to forget about that. Shot this image of these people walking up the the stairs, and it was like after on the way home, everyone's tired. It's like late in the evening, and you've got these hordes of people going up the stairs, and they've all got their heads hung low because they're worn out. 
And it was one of the most amazing photographs I've ever seen. And he wouldn't have been able to shoot that if there'd have been some sort of infrared stopping his camera from working. So it's it's scary. Um, I think that the 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 power to abuse this is is huge. And you know that's the thing that we'd need to really avoid. Um, otherwise, you know, concerts. I, I, I sit there all the whole time. I'm way too honest. Uh, you know, the, if there's a sign that says no photography, basically my, my phone stays in my pocket. I don't take my camera or something like that. And then I get all worked up because the guy in front of me is getting a shot with his iPhone. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I could be doing that. But, you know, just disable it at places when you're not, there's obviously a policy you're not allowed to take photos. That's fine with me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, I haven't read too deeply into how they're doing this, but like you said, it is an infrared signal, which would mean it's line of sight. But does it restrict the kind of blurred out, or does it does it blur out an area? Does it just turn off your camera completely? Like, I, I think it would be cool if it was some sort of, you know, augmented reverse augmented VR, you know, where you aim your camera at a certain area and, you know, it tracks that area and blurs it out. Or David could say, you know what, I don't want to be photographed anytime, anywhere, right? So whenever David has his his phone on him, ostensibly the network would know where David is, David would be blurred out in every photo that tried to capture him. (laughs) That would be kind of cool. David, what what do you think, man? Yeah, I think you're onto something. I, I, in contrast to our previous conversation, um, I gotta say I don't actually care. I, I, it really, it seems to me, unless again, unless I've read the technology wrong, it seems to me that you know this is really only an issue with, well, certainly with iPhones or mobile devices, maybe with digital cameras. But you know, I mean, really, you're you're gonna jam a Nikon F3 with a roll of Delta 3200. I mean, there are always ways around it. Um, I cannot imagine going to a concert and whipping out my phone. I mean, I don't do concerts, but I imagine that if I've just spent $50 to watch a concert, and again, I'm the old guy, and maybe, you know, the younger generation experiences things through their camera, I get that, but I personally would keep my camera in my pocket and enjoy the concert. Um, or better, I would just buy the DVD and watch it at home so I can I can get up and, and go to the washroom and eat what I want. I can take pictures of the screen as much as I want. So for me, it's not it's not a uh, it's not really a concern. I, I don't actually. I, You're discounting social media because you know, yeah, taking photos and saying, hey, yeah, I got a shot of this artist on the stage, you know, is one thing for you to enjoy for yourself later. But this is the social media generation where people want to Snapchat sure. and Twitter and Periscope and do all that stuff and otherwise become their own television stations and broadcast out the content. I, and to, I, to, to brag to their friends and family. <laughs> and, and I totally agree. And that's where, you know, there may be a generational difference there. Um, my reply is that older grumpy guy with maybe a little bit of wisdom, at least consider the wisdom of, you know, your, your elders, my God. Um, but maybe they should live vicariously through themselves and, and actually experience life. Um, I'm on social media, although I've just started cutting back like crazy. And, but I, I I don't know. I mean, these are all, for the most part, at least what we're talking about, concerts and stuff, are private venues or they're public venues with security issues. And again, um, you know, if if their biggest complaint is, I can't take a picture of myself at the Taylor Swift concert, 
but there's a bigger issue there. You know, we all want our cake and we want to eat it too. It's like photographers bitching about, you know, someone stole my photograph and they're, and they're, they're meanwhile, they're, they're, you know, using a, an unlicensed copy of Photoshop or, or creating slideshows with Taylor Swift's unlicensed music. Um, I, I think we, we want to be protected and yet we don't want anything getting in our way. Uh, there's going to have to be some compromise. At some point, we're just going to have to say, well, this is necessary or, as Martin pointed out, there will be some kind of rebellion and we'll say, no, this has gone too far. That's always been the way it has been. And like I said, you know, they're still selling Ilford Delta 3200. You can get a great deal on a Nikon F3 or a Polaroid camera and uh, and go analog, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, looking at it from kind of the passive, you know, non-consequential direction of entertainment, you know, concerts and that kind of stuff doesn't sure. matter. But then I, when I read this story, I was wondering, okay, so then what happens? We live in a scary world now, right? I mean, all kinds of stuff is happening in the U.S. and abroad, everywhere around the world. And, and a lot of times, these things that happen, whether they're terrorists or domestic, whatever, is captured on cell phones, right? So what happens when we get into a situation where, you you know, there's a blackout area or, like we said at the beginning the evildoers, you know, the coin phrase, <laughs> the evildoers use this technology to black out cell phone usage in a certain area so they can do their stuff unnoticed. Sure. I mean, well, it sounds like Mission Impossible, but it's it seems like it's possible now. Maybe, but I'll remind you also that there are, you know, there are plenty of evildoers that, for example, in India, for years, you couldn't even get a... Uh, a SIM chip without registering it, providing your passport, because improvised explosive devices were being set off by cell phones. What? So there's the argument that cell phone jammers and that sort of thing can, like any technology, can be used for good, can be used for evil. It's going to happen. All of these technologies will happen, whether they are, um, you know, whether they're accepted, whether like Martin said, whether there's, you know, some kind of a, a rebellion, whether it's just us voting with our dollars and saying, forget it, Apple, you're, you know, I'm no longer on board with this. I don't know. I don't see the need for it, frankly. I mean, but at the same time, I'm all on board if the restaurant that I like to go to suddenly decides they're going to jam cell phone signals so we can all have a, a meal in peace and not listen to some jerk beside us, you know, yakking on the phone. Right. You know. Yeah, but then you know, but then it becomes okay. What happens when you're in that awesome restaurant or club, and some nutcase comes in there and you know does something terrible, and there's no pictures of him doing that thing. You know, not that this is going to happen, but still, it's a, it's not that far of a leap, right? Especially these days. Right, you're talking to a Canadian. I mean, you know, you know, you know, wait, wait till we build that wall. I'm just saying. No, dude, we're building our own wall. We're gonna build a wall. You're gonna build a wall. I'm gonna live in a trench in between the wall. Oh man, but you know, I'm just saying. I mean, that's that's clearly hypothetical, but still, if if something like that happens, and you know, like say it was the the Boston Marathon bombers, you know, and Luckily, there's cameras all over the place, both government and civilian, taking photos of the whole thing. They can grab all those images and kind of piece together what happened. If this technology was in place, there'd be a big black hole right there, you know, or maybe in the, or close to that area where presumably one of the perps could have been hiding or something. You know, I'm just saying. Not that I'm I'm an advocate of Big Brother watching everything all the time and and crowdsourced journalism or whatever, but 
in this climate that we're living in, I'm wondering, like, okay, if we take that away, that doesn't, that's like gun control, right? I mean, you take guns away from the law-abiding citizen, that doesn't mean the people that don't obey the law are going to not get them, right? Same with this technology. You take it away, you put it in place, that means, you know, a lot of people could use it. Or if you take it away, a lot of people will still use it that shouldn't be using it. Could be. Uh, uh, until it, you know, until we see what happens, it's all speculation, right? And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I just want to go make nice photographs. That's what I want to do. That's, <laughs> I just want to make nice photographs and, pay, and play Pokemon Go. I'm just oh, saying. Really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I have not played that game yet. I, I, David, have you played that game? You, My God, uh, no. I, I, have, I have a life. I have things I want to do. Like a you don't have morbid curiosity about Not what all remotely. the is about. No, Martin, no. Martin, you're in Tokyo. Come on, you gotta play it. You played it, right? I, I don't think it's available here yet. Um, really? I think it. No, I, I saw something. Oh, it was. How it can was, it not be available was, in, in Japan? Nintendo's a Japanese company, I, right? Well, you know. The, okay, so I'll piggyback on what David said. I don't give a crap. <laughs> 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 I, it really. I. It's not the sort of thing that I'm. In. I. I don't. It's not that I don't play games. I. I've got a couple that I enjoy a few minutes each day, but that's about it. Uh, and I. Anything that takes more than a few minutes to have fun with, it's just. It's killing my time. So. Yeah, yeah, for me. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a casual gamer too. My I've logged many many hours on words with friends, and I challenge <laughs> challenge anyone in the TWIP audience. I will crush you in words with friends. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anyone. Um, yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> Throwing down the gauntlet, my phone blows up with the request. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm interested about this this patent. I want to see how how it would be put into place. Again, this is a patent, right? So Apple could choose to not implement it or it could be implemented in the next iPhone, who knows. But it is it is scary from either direction. All right, guys, in this next story, story number 3 we'll blow through really quickly here is DJI, the drone people that presumably made the drone that you have, David. Did you buy a Indeed. DJI drone? Yeah, you did, right? I did. I have a Phantom 3 Advanced. Nice. That's what I have the Phantom 3 Pro. So same family. So DJI, the leader, they've introduced a new uh, online advisory service that will help us as drone pilots determine where it's safe to fly and register for authorized flights within restricted zones. Hmm. So this is interesting, and there's a, I highlighted a couple of paragraphs in this in the story in our show notes. The first thing is GEO, which is the Geospatial Environment Online, the acronym is GEO, GEO, by default limits flight or takeoff within locations that raise safety or security concerns. So, much like Apple and their patent, where they can suppress photography in a certain area, DJI can program in no-fly zones that then get trickled down to your aircraft, so when you're trying to take off to go get your top-down shot of the White House, David, you can't do it. It won't allow you. <laughs> I think all of D.C. is a no-fly zone, to be honest with you. So you, would, you wouldn't be able to fly there. However, the next paragraph down says the geosystem is advisory only. <laughs> so first it says it, it limits by default. Then it says it's advisory only, and each user is responsible for checking official sources to determine what laws and regulations might apply to his or her flight. So, I'm not going to lead the witness. David, you're a new drone pilot. What do you think of this? You know, you is it saving you from getting in trouble so that you don't take off and, and fly when you shouldn't be, or is it restricting you arbitrarily? 
Well, tr truthfully, I, I didn't dig too deep on this, so I, you know, my question is: Is this an international thing? Is this only in the U.S., which so much of this stuff tends to be? Mm -hmm. uh, and not being in the U.S., I mean, I one day might take my drone, uh, you know, the day they let me back into the country, uh, I might take my drone traveling with me and and try. But ultimately, you know, all the conversations I'm seeing about dr drones, they come down to: uh, Do you have a sense of responsibility, or do you have a sense of entitlement? And all of these people that are, are bitching and whining that, oh, my God, I can't fly my drone here or I can't do this. or You know what? There's a safety issue. This is a new technology. I'm sure there will be some you know, certified drone pilots that are much safer than I can possibly be at this point. Yeah. Um, my big question is responsibility. I don't have a problem if the airports say, this is a no-fly zone within a certain number of miles or kilometers, mm -hmm. and that somehow that's that's enforced by hardware or software. I have no issue with that. It's a public safety thing. And again, I'm not really, you know, I would probably lean libertarian in my uh, politics. I don't, I don't particularly want surveillance everywhere. I don't want someone's drone flying over my house at all hours. Uh, mm -hmm. I, so again, it's a question of rights and responsibility, and I'm okay giving up some of my, you know, some of my entitlements or my—I just air quoted, sorry about that—or uh, my or my uh, alleged rights, which are not terribly important to me. Do I really have the right to fly a drone anywhere I friggin' feel like it? I don't yeah. think so. Um, and do you know my rights stop at the end of another person's space? Why should I get to fly my drone wherever I want? I don't want them flying their drone wherever they want. So I, we're, it's, and, and I get suspicious with new technology. Anytime we start sort of uh, prognosticating uh, over new technology, it's like, let's see where it's going to go. Let's, and let's have some voices that are not just about, like, if it can be done, it should be done. Let's have some human voices in there saying, well, let's, let's maybe dial it back a little bit. You know, let's maybe, just because you can fish, take every fish out of the ocean doesn't mean it's a good idea for the planet. Just because... You know, just, I mean, as a Canadian, you know, you mentioned gun control, and I'm like, yeah, I have no problem with gun control. We have gun control. We're doing okay. But we have a different legal system. We have a different culture, a different history. Um, so we all come at it from a different angle. Yeah. I, I don't mind if someone says you can't fly a drone. I actually would, I would be sad if someone said you can now only fly drones in approved areas like, you yeah. know, parks and whatever. I would kind of go, okay, well, that's, that's too bad. That takes a little bit of the fun out of it. But do we really, I, I dread the day I go to the, the Maasai Mara in Kenya, and some jerk in the, the Land Rover next to me is buzzing the lions with a Land Rover. It's going to happen. And, and It already has. Yeah, it's, I mean, that kind of thing, and someone's going, well, psh, who are you to tell me? Well, I, I'm me, and you're ruining the experience of all these people just because you're, you know. Yeah, anyway. that's, that, that's that common sense piece of it. Um, but the, you know, reading into this article a little bit, it, it, it makes sense because we've had news reports of people flying drones and obscure, obstructing um, or interfering with firefighters Absolutely. because, you know, fire suppressant planes can't fly when they're a drone, even if it's a $10 drone sitting there and a million dollar house is burning to the ground because some guy wants to get some cool aerials of the flames, the helicopters or the, you know, the planes have to stay on the ground. They right. can't do it. So this makes sense for that. So they say they're saying this is this is real time. So there's apps on the phone now that give you kind of semi real time data about where you can fly. <clears throat> there's one called Before You Fly that I use that gives you basically, 
you know a radius around different airports, and you have to find sure. where where the where the the Venn diagram doesn't intersect, and you can fly in that little sliver right there. Okay. Um, but this is real time, it looks like, and it's saying flyers will have real time access to live information on temporary flight restriction restrictions due to forest fires, major stadium events, VIP travel, and other changing circumstances. And the system also includes locations such as prisons, nuclear power plants, and other sensitive areas where flying may raise non-aviation security concerns. So that right. that's all common sense stuff, you know. And it's, it's, it's giving us a tool to be more responsible, and I'm all in favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin, what about you? You're not a drone owner yet, right? But well, what do you I, think of I've, these restrictions? I've, I've got a D, DJI Osmo and a kite. Uh, <laughs> Martin just won the podcast. Martin cheers. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I actually i i i would like i would like a, a drone. I've thought about it a number of times. I've I've even had them in my cart on Amazon for a few weeks and sort of and been up close to pressing the button. But yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that you know. Um, I was actually um I was happy with my decision to not jump on board partly because david hated them so much so so now i'm feeling as though i need to i need to revisit that this that decision but um i uh I, as far as this goes one of the things that did concern me as i've as i've thought about getting a drone is that i wouldn't know where i'm okay to fly i don't want to get into trouble i don't want i don't necessarily like conflict and and if i was to be flying somewhere and then some policeman comes running down the I don't know, down the side of the river shouting at me. I don't want to get into those conversations. So I, I welcome anything that tells me where I can and cannot fly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, the, it's, it's got to be better than, the, than the, the Tokyo police drone. Have you seen that? That's I've like this, this, that. this huge big drone that's like 10 times bigger than any drone you've ever seen. It just flies a net and scoops up all of the drones. Um, and so... <laughs> It sounds like a challenge to some drone it's, pilots. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's got to be better than having your having your uh, the drone police come and just scoop up your your phantom. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it seems to me, especially with the the fact that it's real time and the the temporary restrictions, um, all in there, sounds like a good a good uh, piece of technology and something that that we need. So yeah, yeah, no, um, I, I'm in, I'm in favor of it. You know, as long as it, you know, like David said, it doesn't get too restrictive. Um, which is going to be subjective because someone will say, "Well, hey, the airport is five miles over that way. I just want to go up a hundred feet. How come I can't fly right here?" You know, and the answer is because. And David, to answer your question about where this is initially going to be in effect, it says uh, Geo is currently available in the. I love how they say available. <laughs> it's currently available in the following areas: the UAE or United Arab Emirates, uh, Canada. The United States, Mexico, and Europe. So, and that's that's great. That means the UK doesn't uh, doesn't have it yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, a while. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, don't get me started on that one either. They can they can opt out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see, you're taking me. See, people try to drag me into the politics on this show, and I try to resist. It's like. It's like catnip. Hey, I've got a, I've got an English passport, and I'm looking at it, it says European Union. I'm going. I just renewed this damn thing. What am I gonna do with this? <laughs> Crap. Gosh. Can't use it. Get a new one. All right, guys, we're gonna take another quick break. When we come back, we're gonna answer a quick question from one of the Twip listeners. 
Hey, folks, just a quick heads up. There are still a few spots left on my Vietnam North to South adventure. Just as a recap, this November 27th through December 10th, I'm taking a small group of 6 to 11 people on an exclusive 14-day photography adventure through the wonderful country of Vietnam in Southeast Asia. The locations that we'll be visiting include Hanoi, Halong Bay, Hoi An, Saigon, also known as Ho Chi Minh City, and the Mekong Delta. We have some great activities plan, including photo walks, foodie walks, if you happen to like great food. We'll also visit some of Vietnam's most amazing markets and temples and much, much more. Also, we'll have dinner floating on Ha Long Bay and wake up to the most amazing view you've ever seen. And don't worry, there'll be plenty of free time for you to explore and discover each location at your own pace. And your fee covers just about everything, including all flights within the country, accommodations at conveniently located three and four star boutique hotels, most meals, local guides, air-conditioned vehicles, all entry fees for our group activities, and two internal flights. And the cost for this amazing 14-day, 13-night trip is just $3,899 for double occupancy. Or if you want your own room, just add $599 and you can have your own room with your own privacy. So come join me for the time of your life later this year in Vietnam and, of course, help me celebrate my birthday in the wonderful city of Hanoi. Get all the details and register now at twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. That's twip.pro slash Vietnam 2016. All right, folks, periodically on the show, we answer questions and respond to feedback that has come in from the Twip Army. This week, we have a question from, uh, let's see. Oh, wow, look at this. This is perfect. It's a DJI Phantom shooter. <laughs> okay, so this uh, this this guy says... He says, as a fellow photographer and DJI Phantom user, I was wondering how you travel with your Phantom. Do you carry it on the plane, or have you checked it? If you've checked it, which hard case have you used? I'm an American living in Australia, and I'm traveling back to the United States soon, and I'm trying to figure out how to best transport the Phantom. Hmm, I have some thoughts on this. Martin, what do you think? Yeah, I uh, I actually did a, a quick search on uh, on. Well, I think I started on the web, but it led me quickly to Amazon and the Pelican. You know, Pelican cases like the they you can drive trucks over these things. They do a range for for the Phantoms, and it's by so I I I quickly saw like Phantom Three, Phantom Four. So depending on what uh, what version the the listener has, it need to get the correct case. But the in my opinion, anything that is relatively expensive and relatively easily broken. If you have to check it without doubt, then it's got to, it's got to go in a pelican case. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the way to go. I I would say that you know if if he's also a photographer and he's got a load of camera gear to take back to the US, then he probably wants that to be his carry on. If he's traveling with family, maybe maybe someone else could you know. I mean, for me, if I ever travel with my wife, she gets a, she gets another bag if I've got to carry a lot of stuff and. You know that's just one way of carrying more on, but if it does have to be checked, then for sure the um, the the Pelican case is the way to go. But I'm also recalling here um, Sharky James from the Petapixel podcast, and, and he's he's also now um, regularly appearing on on Twit. Mm-hmm. Um, he he released a podcast a few weeks ago, maybe maybe a little bit longer. That I'm not sure, but there was some guy that watched his Pelican case bounce on the tarmac from the from the plane window. And his um, his lenses and everything rolled across the, rolled across oh, the tarmac, wow. um, and and but Sharky gave a really sensible bit of advice in that where he said that 
make sure that you know there's these little loops for padlocks um it's, you're either going to want tsa is it tsa um, mm-hmm. padlocks on there so that the, so that the people that are supposed to be able to open the case can open it but also he he talked about those little plastic ties that you little zip ties yeah yeah stick a few of that of those on it so that they can cut them off if they want but also put a few inside the case so that the TSI guys TSA guys if they do have to take it to take take them off and open it up just give them a way to put them back on because then it's it, it's not going to flip open if you even if the the clasps come undone it's not going to flip open if you've got a, a TSA padlock or and um, on those ties on there yep so yeah I, I, if it has to be checked that would be a, an extra thing to think about i agree with i agree with everything you said um, except for i have never I've traveled all over with my drone so far, and uh, out of the country, inside the country, everywhere. But I haven't yet purchased a hard case for it, and uh-huh. um, my reason being is because of that. I'm I don't have confidence that. I mean, the drone is like fragile. I mean, you, David, you feel a little gimbal on there, right? I mean, you could blow on it; it feels like it'll just it'll it'll break. I'm sure it won't, but. At the same time, I my mo has been to just carry it in one of these things. So to the folks that are listening to this, I'm showing a uh, photo of the ThinkPack Airport Helipack, and this is the this is the case I carry my drone in. It's a soft, it's like a soft backpack that has the internals configured specifically for drones, mirrorless cameras, your tablet, your controllers, extra batteries. Uh, my Osmo goes in here, you know, everything, like everything for that I need to shoot with goes in this one little, it's not that little, but this one, one backpack. And if, if I need to take the drone with me, that essentially means that I'm checking a large bag. So large bag is going to get checked with all my stuff in it. I'll have this guy on my back with my laptop and everything in it and an additional carry on bag if I need that. Otherwise it's just this guy on my person and a check bag going through the, uh, you know, going through the airport uh, baggage system. If it's an overnight trip, it's just this bag and a roller bag. That's it. That's all I carry with me. Or this bag, a roller bag, and my, you know, Peak Design messenger bag or something. And that's that's generally all I need with me. This thing is soft, so if you, the danger with this bag is if you get in a situation where, hey, folks, we have an overcrowded flight situation, and we're going to force everyone to check everything, you're screwed <laughs> because because this bag will not sustain any kind of impact. David, how do how do you travel with your bag? Yeah, I um, I don't. Um, but if if I I mean I have a Canadian-made Pelican case, which is uh, it's a hard case. It's a little bit lighter than a, a Peli, and um, I would probably travel with that. Um, you know, they are fragile. And to Martin's point, I've always got other gear. I've, I'm always concerned about, I mean, if I'm, if I was going, for example, scuba diving, I've got plenty of stuff I'm trying to take on board. Mm-hmm. The, for me, the drone would be last priority. And, but I would echo his, uh, his suggestion to use uh, zap straps or zip ties or whatever you call them. Um, I all, I zip tie everything that goes, that's checked. I just, it's, it's just sort of, it's one of, I, of course it can be cut, but it tells me whether it's been opened. Um, and if it is a hard case or something, yeah, you throw a couple extra of those in there. And it's, I can't imagine, I mean, if you drop this, the four latches, Peli cases all have four latches, you know. I, 
someone had to have been screwing around with that thing, you know. So the locks, yeah, the locks are not a bad idea. An ultra, ultra cheap knockoff version of a Pelican case. You know? Yeah, and and who knows? But if you were asking me, how would you travel with your drone? Mm-hmm. If it was that important to me, I would throw it in a, a Peli case and just check it. I I don't want to. It's not important enough to me. If I get to a location and my drone is missing, I'm not going to miss out on work. I'm not going to jeopardize my project because I don't shoot that way. One day it might, but you can only carry so much stuff on a plane, and my still photography still takes precedence. So throw it in something solid, chuck it in the belly of the plane, and I have yet to, fingers crossed, touching wood, I have yet to to lose anything. The worst that I've had happen is a whole bottle of whiskey that uh, I had in my duffel bag came on. Corked and everything I owned smelled like whiskey. And worse, I didn't get to drink the whiskey. So, uh, I I know there are horror stories, but I have yet to encounter them on my my own travels. Well, here's here's the Pelican case that Martin was talking about here. You guys see that? That's it, right, Martin? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that that looks like. Yeah, you could you could put your liquor in there too, David, and it would <laughs> probably make it just fair, fair point. <laughs> make it I mean, just fine. I'm not sure that four bottles of wine would leave any room for the the Phantom. But oh, you gotta have priorities, man. Come on, priorities. You're right. Priorities. That's that's my point exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Maybe one day I'll have to get one of these these Pelicans uh, because I I know I'm gonna hit the the, the day when I need to take more stuff or stay longer and I want to have the drone with me and it's not an option to carry it with me but I know you, you know you know what they I I was traveling um, last year and I, I got a, I was going to be going on a, an Emirates flight and I was bitten because they've actually stopped people taking a second bag um, so you know normally you can have your big backpack or something else something that's big enough to go in the overhead and a sundries bag or you know, and and my sundries bag is usually you know like a, they say you can take a se- separate laptop bag. I had a separate laptop bag with me, and they made me. They they said you're only allowed one bag, and I said, well, I've always been able to travel with a with a laptop bag. They said, yeah, if you want to bring a laptop bag, you've got to check your camera bag. I said, well, that's not going to happen. So they said, well, you can't get on the flight then. Oh, so so I I did my usual trick of standing there in front of everyone in the queue and put I'd got lenses sticking out of my vest pockets and <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> I was standing there, and, and she said, "Okay, we we get it. You know, let's let's stop this in front of everyone else." I said, "No, you started it." Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I ended up literally. I had to travel to Namibia last year with a 15-inch MacBook Pro sticking out of my vest pocket, um, and it wasn't fun. You know, I thought so you have to be careful and check the check the the limits or the you know the limitations that you do uh, have to, to live by on when you're getting on international flights these days it's getting more and more difficult and that's why for for me at least that's one of the main reasons why my mirrorless is attractive because you can carry a hell of a lot more stuff in a much smaller bag that's true very true very true the couple of times this year that I've traveled outside of the US one time was to Canada the other time was to to Mexico it was to inspect those walls that are being built but it was, <laughs> it was in either direction, both are actually coming back, I'm sorry, coming back into the United States from both countries. TSA stopped me with my drone, not TSA, well, security, you know, or the customs agents actually stopped me with the drone and, you know, how they wave you off to the side and they're like, hey, we got we to gotta do some extra stuff and check your stuff. They did that every single time with the drone, right? And then they also, they always take an extra little bit of time looking at the drone and then they they get to this like point of inflection 
where they get it, it's actually just a drone, and they're like, then they start in with the drone questions, David, like I'm sure you've gotten already, you know, how much does it cost, how far does it fly, you know, all that stuff, so then it becomes like buddy-buddy conversation, but up until that point, it's like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, I think I take my drone, did I do something wrong, am yeah. I going to get in my country, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think, Martin, your point is is well taken, though. Traveling, regardless of where you're traveling, whether it's inside your country or internationally, traveling with something as unknown and as brand new, relatively speaking, as a drone merits a little bit of extra homework a couple days before you get on the plane, you know, Mm -hmm. to, you know, lest you lose your aircraft or be stranded somewhere with your babies. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, Frederick, there's, there's also, uh, I've heard stories lately of people having their drones confiscated. Not, we, you know, Canada and the U.S. are very, very similar privacy and, and you know, our, our so-called, you know, right to shoot and um, all, even that's being questioned. But our, those rights are not remotely the same around the world. And you would do well to do your homework to see, you know, for example, Mexico, you can bring two cameras into the country, you bring three cameras in and you tell them they will tax you uh, on your third camera. Um, that happened to Nicole Young. Um, fortunately, her third camera was, you know, relatively inexpensive. Um, the same is happening with, with drones too. There, there are very specific laws about whether you can or can't come into the country with which cameras and you just, you're always well advised to do your homework. Yeah, ask ask Trey Radcliffe about that flying flying his drone in communist China. <laughs> so not and being detained for it. Not not a good scene. So yeah, be careful. Be careful. <clears throat> All right, guys, uh, listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, just click on the contact us link at the top of the page and select TWIP this show to submit your question. Alternatively, if you have a question for any of our other shows, just select them, type your message, press send, and they instantly get it. All right, guys, we're going to round up the show here with the picks of the week. You guys can recommend anything to the TWIP Army as long as it is somehow related to photography. David Dushman, you're going first, man. What's your pick of the week? Okay, can I do two? Can I do the one? Okay, because I'm going to do the one that I really want to do and then the one that that I should do. So uh, two books. The first is the second edition of Within the Frame, which is my first book. Second edition nice. just came out. It's uh, I've read it. It's exceptional. You really need to get a copy. I've read it. Um, you <laughs> read it several times. I've read every letter. <laughs> Dude, that guy can that guy can write. Um, he's witty too. I hear. However, uh, yeah, he's okay. Uh, however, if you already have that, or you're looking for something just a little extra special, uh, Dan Winters has written an, a beautiful book called Road to Seeing. And it certainly isn't for everyone. It's a little bit biographical, but it's just, it's deeply human. It's really beautifully done. And I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed to say that I got the end of this book and I, I nearly cried. It was such a beautiful contemplative read about one man's journey through photography. And it was just, it was, if you already have within the frame, the second edition, or you're like, yeah, I, I'm kind of done with that. Here is good vision is better stuff. Uh, Dan Winters will hit all the same notes, but he'll do it much more eloquently in a really beautiful book. So Dan Winters, Road to Seeing, really exceptional book, highly recommended. What's your yeah. pick, Martin? I recently had a lightning strike very close to my house that uh, fried a few components of my, my, my network and my iMac. So I did a bit of research and I bought a UPS that is uh, now 
it's got everything that's important is going through the UPS. And I also bought a power surge protection. Again, these are both by ADC. I bought the, uh, I think it's called a surge arrest, which is like a, a big uh, power strip that also has coax um, terminals on it. So I can put my, my coax from my, my cable company goes into that. Um, because I, I believe the, the power surge came in through the, through the internet cable and not through the power. Um, because it fried my it fried my router or router, um, uh, it fried my router and it um, it also fried the Ethernet cable on my and part of the uh, the logic board on my iMac. So I think it's important to have the power surge protection on the coax as well. Um, but yeah, there, I I did a blog post about this and a, a podcast which you can find at mbp.ac/slash five three one. It looks like Frederick's still not here. <laughs> Great. The show is ours. Yeah. I'm here. Okay. Yeah, that's I'm good. here. You guys not see me? I feel like a ghost. <laughs> uh, you, you're breaking up again, though. You can hear and see me, right? Can you just can, hear me? We can see you again now. We can see you again. Now. Okay. We will end the show on this while we with left. Here at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo, we will list out all that these guys have up. David, I know you've got another question of within the frame. Uh, you're turning your attention. And where's your portfolio? Link to it in the show notes, but where where we can find it? Uh, if you just go to daviddusheman.com, there's a link to my portfolios. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, yeah, we're coming in for a bumpy landing with this episode of Quit. Landing <laughs> gear is not fully extended. <laughs> We're going to win anyway. Any good landing that you can walk away from is a good landing. All right, guys. We're at the end of another show. Thanks for listening. If you want to check us out, check us out at thisweekphoto.com. Subscribe to your shows. With that, it's time to take that lens cap off. Weekend Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.